you are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 269 and 270 of Fed by Ravens. Our attempt of rekindling the oral tradition, talking about the the scriptures in its entirety. Yeah. So we've just been slowly working through the whole Bible in the year 2018. Right? Right. I just, <laughs> I'm just imagining this guy. Time, time stamp it. Yeah, <laughs> time stamp it. Because you never know. I mean, we may not be discovered, this may not be discovered till like 2038 or something. Yeah. But it'll be just as relevant because <laughs> the Word of God is living and breathing. Our Old Testament reading for today is Isaiah chapter 63 through chapter 66. Well, this is a disturbing scene. The Lord's Day of Vengeance. (laughs) Yeah, so we just came out of the prayer for mercy. Beautiful stuff in Isaiah. And, uh, but again, it has to mingle it with the reality of God's presence, is how I hear it. Yeah. And the question of, hey, God, why are your clothes all red? (laughs) (laughs) Why why your robes uh, look like you just came out of a wine press? Oh, hey, guys, no, I just had to uh, wreak vengeance on all those who would try to kill you. Wait, so that's their blood? Yep. Yep. Well, that's frightening. That's Uh, right. uh Uh-huh. It's okay to be frightened a little bit. Yes. And so we start off with 63, kind of the Lord being like, look, I looked to see who would save you guys, and no one answered. So it's up to me. And so I went, and I saved you from all the nations and all the peoples that would come against you, and I have destroyed them. Perfect. So you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's the same kind of... uh, You just see the interplay between glorious salvation Mm -hmm. interplayed with... Uh, hideous judgment. Yes. I mean, there's two, there's just very clearly two sides of this thing. And the way to... You kind of need one with, like, you can't have one without the other. Right. If there is no, um, like, if there was no death and no original sin, we would be living in a state of gospel. Like, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't be scared. We wouldn't have to be crying out and humbling ourselves. We'd just be what we were supposed to be. Very simple and easy in life. Like, the way we all want it. We want it to be like that. We want it to be like we don't have to be scared we don't have to have uh, traffic lights or laws. We just all behave. Mm-hmm. But the reality is um, we have this sinful nature. And so with that nature is judgment and harsh stuff. And God's constantly saying, oh, please, I love you guys. I mm-hmm. want to be with you. I'm working for the restoration. And it's even in your heart and mind already as humans, this desire for peaceful living and for not having to worry about things and not ever being scared. But you're going about it without me. And without me is death, and with me is life. Yeah, and then on the heels of this, he has to go, now let me recount the steadfast love of the Lord. Let's let's be reminded of, we have a Lord who's been patient and loving to us, but we have turned away, and we have grieved the Holy Spirit, we have moved away from Him, and He has become our enemy for a moment. Oh yeah, okay, so, uh, and then... He talks about, I had a thought, a famous verse thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, God will act for those who wait on him. So he is saying, just wait for it. Yes. That's a common theme. 
But you know the the classic verse like our best works are as filthy rags. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's in sixty four. Yes, sixty four verse six. Okay, so you and just jump in there. Where were you? I thought you were sixty three. I thought you'd finish sixty three. Nope. Okay, keep going then. Nope. Because it ends with a prayer for mercy. Right? Yes, that's yeah. what I want. I just wanted to hit that because okay. that sets up. So that so Isaiah is recognizing uh, we are deserving of God's wrath. Like, yes. we are deserving to be like all the nations that are against God and end up having our blood poured out over the earth. Yes. Lord, please have mercy upon us. And then 64 starts with this cry of like, Lord, you are far, it feels like you are far away. Where are you? What are you doing? Please come down so that we can see your mighty works again. Yes. And then it's because... Because even our good works are not good enough. Yes. So I've heard that, you know, you grow up in church and you hear your best works are Mm -hmm. filthy rags. Yes. And it's kind of hard to understand that. But the second part of the verse actually made it a lot more clear. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. So think about a leaf. Mm Mm-hmm. Have you ever tried to save a leaf? You know, you put it in a book yeah. or something, you depress it. Or, yeah. Because the whole idea of a leaf is when it falls, it's already dead. It's dead. And now it's just dying. Mm-hmm. And so like your good works, your good works, if they're God's, it's the fruit of the tree. Mm-hmm. And as soon as it fruits and falls off the tree, it's dying. It was for that moment. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing your own good works, all of your good work, you can only, okay, for example, you want to be a good person. I'm going to do this. But then after a couple months, you lose interest, you're not so motivated, and you stop doing that good thing. It fades like a leaf. Right. Because in your own strength, you can only do so much for so long because you yourself are dying. Yeah. And so like when you compare the works of God, which brings life, so God creates the tree. The works of God are the tree, the root system Mm -hmm. that produces fruit. So that's when he says, when you walk into the works that God has created beforehand, we're walking into the works that he's created. They last forever. So even our best efforts in trying to do something are like a leaf. Right. It's like a leaf, a dead leaf floating through the wind trying to save itself and reattach itself to the tree. It cannot. It's done. So all the good works it does, it doesn't matter. It will all end up... In death. The wind carries away our good works and they're forgotten. Mm-hmm. And so how do you, what's the response to that? When you realize that, when you realize I am the problem and I, am, I also am unable to solve it, you call out to the one who can save it, yes. who can do it, who can continue to produce fruit. And that's what he's saying is like... Dude, I'm just realizing 64, Paul um, quotes yes. Isaiah so much. Like he Because he uses the, we have all become like one who is unclean. And then he's also has the whole, we are the clay and you are the potter. Yes. It's the so, same thing. So good. So like, so like the pottery trying to do something good for the potter mm-hmm. is absurd. Right. It just can't happen. And so Isaiah is walking through kind of the grief on behalf of himself and his people. Like, okay, we have no other choice than to say we thought we were doing good because mm-hmm. we, we thought we could be safe here. But the reality is we've seen the we're truth. We've seen, um, we've seen, we've seen too much. <laughs> we've seen too much. But the good news is, as you confess, you're set free. Confession then uh, allows well, fought the God to act on our behalf. So 64, though, ends with this question of, will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? 
Because hmm. Isaiah is also like, he's been seeing visions of what's going to happen to Jerusalem. Because it hasn't happened yet. They haven't been destroyed yet. They're, right now, they're, they're looking pretty good. Yeah. Um, but he's seeing ahead and is realizing, oh, we are going to be utterly devastated. And it looks like the Lord has turned from us. Lord, where are you? He's asking. Yeah. He's honestly asking, where are you, God? Because it looks like you're nowhere near us. And then 65 is, the is answer. God's answer. Yeah, it's so good. I mean, he, he says, uh, here I am. I'm right here. Like, you, I thought when I first read this, I thought he was quoting Isaiah at the beginning. Here I am, Lord, send me. But no, it's God saying, here I am. I think, am I. He, I think he is, though. He's actually quoting Isaiah. God is using Isaiah's words and Samuel's words to say, I've been here the whole time. Here I am. To a nation that was not called by my name, I spread out my hands all the day to rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. A people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens, and he makes all these references to idolatry. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, I've been here, and you've just walked away from me. You've humiliated me. You've rejected me. I mean, basically, you've what, kept me out. what actually happens to Jesus has already it's happening here to the God of the universe yes. who is there in glory of the cloud and fire and had all this stuff, you know, he's referencing. But God has been there and they did the same thing to God, so they did the yeah. same thing to his son. And so this is what God says in response to Isaiah's question in 64, which is, Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? God says, Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silent and I will repay. <laughs> okay. It, oh, I will boy. indeed repay into their bosom both your iniquities and your father's iniquities together. Oh, man. Terrifying. Okay, so uh, how does that first part of 65 end then? Because we get into the, then the promise of a new heavens and a new earth. Yes, so... But then he goes, okay, I'm not going to... I'm going to purify you. I'm not going to destroy you. He says... Uh, I'm going to save, like almost like a saving a cluster of grapes yeah. um, out of a bad, like there was a bad growth of grapes, but he found like, Setting it he aside. found a yeah. new, he found a good cluster in there. So he, he, he saves the hole for that little cluster. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm going to keep the remnant. It's the remnant idea yeah. all over again. He's like, I'm going to save you. I'm going to give you back um, the land and your city. I'm going to give it back to you. Um He's like, uh, he does end with 13. Behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, and he starts to make a differentiation between those who actually serve him and those who are just, are safe in thinking, right. who feel safe in thinking, oh, we're born to Israel, so we're good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's exactly the thing he's been saying, which is you can't just trust in your outward behavior toward me. Mm-hmm. Because even in your sacrifices and doing all that, you're really just trying to... Uh, manipulate me. Manipulate and immobilize me, actually. Mm-hmm. Keep me kind of safely in a box to help you Yeah. do whatever you want. Right. And the idea is that we align up together in a relationship, in a marriage, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what's more important than anything. Well... The second part of Isaiah 65 ought to be, again, another memorization-worthy section because it's all about the new heavens and the new earth. If I kind of grew up never really hearing about this. Correct. We only heard about heaven. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and heaven was informed by, actually by Plato, the idea of separation of physical and spiritual. So Platonic, or Plato, he had the cave idea, which is mm-hmm. the form of the real thing is in the heavens, and then uh, um, it, the reality is in the heavens, it's spiritual, so a real table is up, up in the heavens somewhere, and right. then everything that we're touching and is a kind of a physical representation of it. it's not the perfect table. And so that infected, I say infected Christianity, it infected all culture because it was powerful ideas, but it's not Christianity. Mm-hmm. So we always imagine heaven as a disembodied spirit sitting on clouds, playing harps, um, away from the earth because the earth is bad. And, and what's funny is that if you remember the story, it begins with God making something saying, whoa, this is very good. Right. And so the earth is not to be divorced from. Mm-mm. The earth is something God created very good before he, and then he placed his crowning jewel, humanity, on it. Right. So the idea of heaven that we have culturally is wrong. Mm-hmm. You have to start thinking like how Isaiah presents it very clearly in the Old Testament, which is a new heavens, a new earth a new creation. And essentially, he goes on, I mean, without reading it, it's like I create a new heavens, a new earth, but think about everything bad about this world and cleanse it, flip it. So on the heels of what we just read, yes, it feels like the Lord's going, taking stock and going, look, you guys are so far away from the original intention that for, for this to be redeemed, we're going to start over. Right. We're gonna, I'm going to make it new. I'm going to restore everything, and I have to do it. It has to be me. Yes. You guys can't make it right. You guys can't do it. So I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to figure this out, and we're going to restore everything, and we're going to change. Like, it's all become so messed up. And I realized one of the things, one of the lines that hit me in the, of the new earth, new creation, yeah, yeah. is um, in the second half of verse 22... Uh, my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Yeah. And the idea of in the Reverse corrupted the in the corrupted world, we are we end up worshiping and are slaves to the work of our own hands. Yes. Wherein God wants to flip it and go, no, 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 this was never supposed to be. You were never supposed to end up be, being slaves to your own work and worshiping it. You were supposed to enjoy it. And right. I'm going to change that for us. Well, we're 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 engaged right now in doing some renovations in our little space, and Matt and I just we just built something really cool in the mm-hmm. creative process of building these like sliding barn door things and how we're going to do it. It's a big process and a challenge, but we just finished and we're like, that's good. That's yes. better than I imagined. I love it, and and you start to realize that when you are creating things. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a, a space not of, oh, I need to get paid for this, and oh, I'm going to die if I don't have it, but from joy, you are able to stand back and go, that's really good. I'm really proud of that. So that's taken us like six days to do. God creates the earth in six days and all of it and says, this is very good. Mm-hmm. And so he's not going to just throw it away because Satan hates it and right. because our hearts are, because we're spoiled brats. He's purifying it. And that's what's so cool is you look at it and it's like, Everything from death, I mean, he talks about you won't just live a few days, like you're going to live forever. You're going to uh, interact with nature perfectly. You're going to interact interact with work perfectly, like all the right. curses, like 
It's going to be great. And and the funny thing is, all this is deep inside our hearts. This is why we take pictures of beautiful landscapes. This is why we long for our families to function properly, which is so funny. Where have you ever seen a family function properly? Where do you get this idea that things ought to be nice? Right. It's implanted in you by God because you haven't seen a family function perfectly once you got behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. You haven't seen someone live perfectly Yet we have this ideal because it's in us. Mm -hmm. And God's like, yeah, I'm going to flip it to the point where uh, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox and the dust shall be the serpent's food. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? But I just realized that when we align ourselves, God's always for restoration. Like he's always for life, provision, protection, peace. And he's about that right now. Yeah. And so uh, Isaiah gives us a little a little uh, sneak peek into the mind of God and the whole goal. Like why, the, the theological word is the telos, or it's Greek. So it's like the end goal, mm-hmm. like the telos, we're moving towards a new creation. And that's why bodily resurrection is so important. Because you will be resurrected to live in a resurrected and new earth. Right. Woo! So, after seeing all that, what should that do to us? It should humble us. Humble us. Yeah. And ask us, God, forgive us. And 66 is, at least the first part, is the Lord saying, like, look, I've created this all for you. I've done all of this for you. I just want your hearts. I want you to appreciate it. Stop trying to manipulate me with your sacrifices and all these things. Stop trying to get what you want out of me. I want to be with you. And that's the other thing is, like, even in praying to God... Stop using even prayers. Like, I'm praying. Mm-hmm. Think about what you're asking for. Right. Does it align up with God's will, which is God's will, is that we love God, love each other, but it's this restorative plan. Like, he wants you to protect you from evil. He mm-hmm. wants to protect you from sickness. So what are you asking for? Are you asking for restorative things? And uh, Because that's what he's all about. And that's what he wants, our hearts to be aligned with him. And he even gives this beautiful... You're going to be nurtured like a little baby being carried at your mother's hip and loved and cared for. Like, we get to be the children of God. Um, Rejoice. It is interesting because Jesus quotes the last part of this, for behold, the Lord will come in fire. Yeah. Like, or is it John who says, uh, I baptize you with water, but... Yes, Holy Spirit fire. But uh, the one who comes will baptize you with fire. Yeah. And this idea of it's judgment, but also salvation. Yeah. Uh, And so the Lord is like, I will show up. I will come with judgment and fire. And I... And all nations will come to me. And all nations... And I love it. And he says, like, I will send people out to all the nations to tell them about my works and my glory. We'll go out to all the nations, and those nations will come to Zion to worship. They will come and worship me. And and then he even says, and some of them I will also take for priests and for Levites. I thought of us. I was like, whoa, it's, like, it's us. That's us, man. We I became know. priests. We got we got uh, grandfathered in by Jesus. Yes. I'm like, oh, man, this is so cool. Like, it's so yeah. clearly spelled out. Like, because, I mean, even Paul, admittedly, in Ephesians is saying, like, it's a mystery. It, yeah. Like, the fact that, the good news was for the Gentiles as well. It was kind of a mystery, and we were it was difficult for us to comprehend, but it's cool that even with it being a mystery, it's still clearly portrayed 
in like there's moments of it in the Old Testament. Well, I think it's the mystery because it's revealed to prophets, prophets. who go to kings. Yeah. And in the past, we're just peasants and we're not right. included in those conversations between prophets and kings. And now Paul says we are included mm-hmm. by the Holy Spirit, by his word, by Christ. Well, it ends with I I don't don't quote me on this. I'm not 100% sure if the Old Testament has talked about a been this descriptive of hell because it ends with Yes. Look, you can be the newborn, fresh, rejoicing baby, um, or you can uh, be one of those who rejects the coming servant savior. Mm-hmm. And uh, all those who are with me will look out at the devastation and see the dead bodies. Yeah, you'll see the dead bodies. And then he says, "For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an uh, abhorrence to all flesh." Yeah. So that's how the book ends. Yeah. And it does make me think this is the first time that kind of a hell, because mm-hmm. throughout the Old Testament, there's like death. They, they talk very much about Sheol, a mm-hmm. place of death, separation from life. But Isaiah here refers to kind of this is after death, mm-hmm. that those will be resurrected to, they'll be resurrected to walk the new heavens and new earth. And then there'll be a place where, where the worm never dies and the fire shall not be quenched. And the best way to think about this, at least all I can think about, is the garbage dump. Yes, and I, I think that is what he's referring to. So you to. go and outside. That's how, that's how Jesus, Jesus actually quotes this, yes. and that's how he uses it. Right. He calls it uh, Gehenna. So it's a shame mm-hmm. that we have to throw away, like, infected grapes to right. use your grape cluster. Like, oh, these ones got the, the canker or the whatever it is. Yeah, sure. And so they have to be thrown out and burned. But then if you've ever been around a garbage dump that's on fire, mm-hmm. it just kind of burns continually. Yeah. And the maggots are never, there's always something there for maggots to eat. Why? Because there's just an unending amount of garbage. <laughs> like it's constantly being produced. Yeah. And so you can start to speculate like, oh, well, are there people, we're going to have to pay for our sins like a garbage dump. It's just all of our sins. Uh, you start to speculate and think about it. But I say keep it easy and simple, which is we definitely want to be on the side of the newborn baby and the new creation. Yes. And the good news is the more humble you are about it, the more assurance you have that you'll be there. The more you're able to say, God, have mercy on me. Forgive me of my sins. <sighs> the more assurance you have. Um, so looking forward to this uh, new creation. And we finished another book. And we finished a book. Thanks, Isaiah. Finished a book. Thanks, Isaiah. You were pretty cool, man. I'll miss you. Word. Let's move on to... Uh, a guy who I think liked Isaiah. Oh, yeah. Our New Testament reading for today is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through chapter 5. Well, here we go. <laughs> Ephesians is such a great book, a great little prison epistle. Mm-hmm. Chapter prison 4. Prison epistle. Uh, chapter 4, verse 17. Yeah, so we are talking oh, about... The new life. Mm-hmm. And so, again, he's writing to a, a group of Jewish and Gentile Christians, but he's, he's reminding them, look, because they are in Ephesus, and Ephesus is a, a Gentile city. And so he's just reminding them, look, this life that you're being called to, that you've been baptized into, that you've received through the Holy Spirit, uh, is different from the lives the lives of those you see living around you. It's different from all your neighbors and what everyone else is doing in this city that you are in. Yeah. It's different. So it's 
it's a callback to say now that you understand the mystery and this yeah. is all about like unity don't live in the flesh live in the spirit so put mm-hmm. off the old self and then put on the new put on the holy spirit that you have renew your mind mm-hmm. um because otherwise you'll become, I mean, he lists like they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you have learned Christ. Right. And so we're going to live different. And I just think about like renewing your mind daily. It's like what we're doing, we're reading the scriptures mm-hmm. and we're putting on the truth yes. every day. Because left, left to our own, we will start to get confused and think, oh, the truth is I'm a failure. The truth is I'm not strong enough to love. Mm-hmm. The truth is, uh, we're all going to die. And we get a renewed mind, which is the truth now is, Christ has died for you. Your sins are forgiven. You can love people right. by the, the love of Christ. You can uh, have hope where there is hopelessness. Why? Because you're clothed in the Spirit. Yeah. I, so I think it kind of all comes down to how do we do this. Mm-hmm. And it lands for me with verse 32 be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. And this idea of forgiveness and like the renewal is repentance and forgiveness. Lord, yes. forgive me. And then you receive it. Adam, forgive me. I messed up the other day. I forgive you. Right. And then it's just this, that's like the renewal process. And like, that's what we're doing here. And that's what we're engaging. Cause he says like, again, the idea is speak truth to one another. So like, don't get caught up in the anger, bitterness, the hypocrisy, mm-hmm. all the drama of each other, but rather get caught up in the amazing work of Christ, uh, for each other. Right. That's what right. we were talking about the other day. And then is this, this passage too, is don't grieve the Holy spirit. Like yeah, the Holy again. spirit is a person. We just read that in, uh, Isaiah. Yes. So the Holy spirit is a person of the Godhood. Mm-hmm. Um, the Godhead, sorry. And so think about the Holy Spirit as don't grieve him. Like if he's made these things known to you, like here's life mm-hmm. and you're just like, whatever, I want death. Well, he's going to grieve that a little bit. Like I grieve and I get sad when I see people not being able to act like the way they want to act. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, There's sadness. Like they said they wanted to do this and then it hasn't worked out. I'm like, ah, oh, I was hoping it would work out that way for you. I was hoping you'd be able to do it. But I kind of grieve it and we can grieve and make the Holy Spirit sad. And he's like, but you don't have to. Yeah. And, and uh, just like you don't have to um, speak to one another, be selfish and greedy and always freaked out about what you're getting. You can actually be kind, forgiving as Christ has forgiven you. Yeah, and you can do it because Christ has forgiven you. And so again, like focus on all of this stuff. The reason you're, we're even able to do any of this is because of Christ's love for us. Yeah is because we are empowered through the Holy Spirit. And so in chapter 5, he says, Be imitators of God as beloved children. And the way we do that is we walk in love as Christ loved us. So it's Christ's love that is empowering us and nurturing us and enabling us to do all these things. And then again, he says, Walk as children of light. Yes. So Christ is the light. And um, and it has this like coarse joking, like, Instead of talking about things done in the dark, expose those deeds. Mm-hmm. And uh, like the original audience is talking about people who've come out of secret occult temple worship mm-hmm. where sexuality was a major part of it and drunkenness. So mm-hmm. you would be talking and joking about those things right. that you've done at yes. the temple. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, remember, like even now that you've come out of them 
and you're a Christian now, you don't do that, but you might still engage in the talk like, oh, I remember this, I remember mm-hmm. that, and ah, ha, ha. And, um, and he's saying, no, no, you don't, you don't talk about things that were done in the dark and the shameful occult practices. Right. Now you're talking about the light of Christ. You're, you're actually exposing those things as demonic and evil and harmful right. and because now you're, you're leading people to Christ. So he, he quotes our favorite guy, Isaiah, and says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Yeah, and I love, too, because, oh, man, I always read these words. I, I, re- I recognize that, like, works righteousness is yeah. so, like, in me that I, I, I read the words, awake, O sleeper, and be yeah. like, oh, man, I got to wake up. I got to f- I gotta make myself wake up. But the word, it's a command from God. It's a word from God that He's wake, saying, wake up, wakey, and, wakey. And he wakes us up. Yeah, your eyes are open right now because Christ said, wake up, Matt. Yes. And, and then the light of Christ is shining on me yeah, the, as I wake up. It's the curtains. Have, yeah, wake up. He opens the curtains and, like, and says, wake up. That's exactly oh, it. Yeah. Wake up. And the light comes in. You're like, oh, yeah. oh it's so bright. It's too early. Mm-hmm. Ten more minutes. Um, then he, he keeps going with this idea of what's in the dark and is comparing now life in the spirit with life apart from the spirit. And so he says, you used to get drunk with wine, and now you're filled with the spirit. And so... He's like saying, instead of getting drunk with the wine, you're going to get drunk with the Spirit. You're going to still sing songs, but now you're singing praises. Like, Mm -hmm. everything's flipping. Like, life in the Spirit is flipping. And so you can even discern the will of God. Like, you can start to discern these things because basically just flip what you used to do. Right. And so if you're not, you don't know exactly what to do, like, oh, God, um, should I do this or that? It's like, you can discern what's life-giving, what's good. Mm-hmm. And then walk into that by faith with Christ, submitting to uh, the Spirit of God. Yeah, so we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and we submit to the Spirit. And then he gets into like like the practical like order of things. But again, it's all framed around he's trying to get this analogy to his audience of this is how we live with Christ. Right. So he just, uh, in my mind, he's just gone about reorganizing temple worship and that yes. stuff. And showing kind of, yes, there's good themes there, but now it's under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. This next passage is, wives, submit to your husbands. Right. Right? Submit to your husbands. And he breaks down the family order. Mm-hmm. So wives submit to their husbands. Husbands love their wives like Christ loves the church. And it goes on. Um, it, it's pretty amazing. Here's, here's what I want to lead with this. Yeah. Paul is not interested in your marriage. <laughs> like, he just doesn't care. Paul's not in jail writing this so that you all can have good marriages. Right. Just get that in your mind. So when you're reading Wives Submit to Your Husbands, it's like, well, that, that doesn't sound right. Or you're, you know, and the man can equally say, love my wife like Christ loved the church and gave herself, like gave himself for her, like his own body. Well, that's, she's really hard to love. Uh-huh. Well, he's really hard to submit to. Right. Paul doesn't care about your marriage. He does, but it's it's tertiary at yes. best. <laughs> what does and so you have to ask yourself, what does Paul care about? The relationship between Christ and the church. Yes, in fact, he says, um, I mean, he gives these ridiculous um, commands about marriage. By the mm-hmm. way, 
like cherish, like I'm supposed to love my wife like Christ did. I'm supposed to die for her, cherish her as my own body, mm-hmm. cleanse her, make her beautiful in every way. That would mean I'm thinking about her all day. Right. I got other stuff to do. Right. She's supposed to submit to me and like whatever I say. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's what Paul says at the end of it. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This idea is from Genesis, knit mm-hmm. together. This mystery is profound. How are two people knit together? And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Bing, ding, 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 ding. Yes. This section is about Christ and his church. However, then he says at the end, oh yeah, uh, however, let one of you, each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, that's true too. Yes. But what I'm talking about is the mystery of Christ and his church being knit together. That is the great and powerful mystery that I am talking about. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what I want you to know. And I want you to know that Christ has loved you to the point of death on the cross. He's cleansing you in yes. baptism. He's washing you with his water and his word. He's presenting you. This is how he loves you. So, and, and then he's saying, so submit to him. Yes. Because you will be knit together and you will become one. And you will be able to be like Christ yes. because of your submission. And then, yes, that will pour out into your marriage. Yeah. If you, if you have two people that are submitted to Christ, right? what do you think your marriage is going to look like? How many people have you met where both man and wife are super committed and submissive to Christ? Do you want me to give a hard number? <laughs> I know, I'm looking at you. I'm like, I think you and Christine. No, I mean, it's you can look there, and I'm not saying that's, again, this isn't mechanical. Now you have a perfect marriage. No. But you know what? Those people have learned something about Submitting and loving. Yes. And by the way, the command to submit was not just wives to husbands. It was in the previous passage, it was submit to everyone. Right. I just want to make it clear. Paul uses, uh, in, and I, when I preached about this, this occurred to me several weeks mm-hmm. ago. Paul uses a seed as an example of resurrection. Right. You bury the seed, blah, 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 it raises up, produces fruit. We, do, we never read that passage and go, man, Paul is really interested on how our seeds work. Right. We understand the metaphor is talking about the resurrection of all things. Right. He's doing the same here with our marriages. Yes. He's saying... Because it's a basic concept that everyone should, at least this audience, understood. If you're married, you understand there has to be like a ridiculous love and a ridiculous submission for the marriage to work. Mm-hmm. So he's saying, the best example I can give you is marriage. But what I'm talking about is Christ and his church. And it's way better than any good marriage you've ever seen. All right. All right. Anyway, we're married, so then we have to figure out the ramifications of that, Matt. Oh, man. We're connected to Christ, knit together. All right. Our psalm for today is Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. 
He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Boom. You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We will talk to you next time.